Open your Bibles to Genesis 1. Uh, I've only got a few weeks left, so I'm going to start at Genesis and work my way through to Revelation. <laughs> oh, since the, uh, since the last time uh, we met together, it has become a, a certainty that I will become the uh, director of the Baptist Network Northwest. Um, it is a humbling uh, honor to be chosen by my colleagues for this ministry, and uh, I'm very much looking forward to it with Sue. Um, we are looking forward to the day we hope will happen within a few months or so of us uh, being able to travel together and serve together uh, completely as we serve both both pastors and uh, pastors' wives and and others in in uh, in the Lord's work as the Lord enables us to do that. Since I know that my time to preach to you every week is coming to a, a soon conclusion, uh, I am going to divert from our studies in 1 Corinthians. That's been a good study and a challenging study. Uh, we've made it to uh, the end of chapter 11, and perhaps in the future, as I might fill the pulpit in from time to time, I will continue those studies with you, because there's certainly good benefit there. But as I, I thought about, uh, I only have... I'm going to be gone one Sunday between now and the end of May, and that only leaves me four Sundays to, to preach God's Word to you. And as I considered that, I thought, uh, I don't want to get too, uh, too uh, uh, what the word is, maudlin here, but what my last words will be. I, uh, I thought, you know, more than anything, uh, there are several concepts I'd like to challenge you with, and these, in some respects, these won't be new, but perhaps the approach to them will be new as I bring together some thoughts from various parts of the Scripture. And the first and foremost one of those thoughts is this, uh, how to grow your faith. Uh, that's going to be the title of the series, how to grow your faith. And, and the first thought that I want to share with you today is this, faith grows as we act on the Word of God. Um, the word faith occurs, uh, depending on what translation you use, 227 times in the New Testament. The word believe or believer occurs 226 times. So over 500 times God makes a reference to the concept of faith and belief. And yet some people uh, still struggle. They, we, we all know that we need to believe in Christ as our Savior to, uh, to be born again, we, uh, we, we certainly uh, endorse the concept of faith. And yet when you ask the question, how do you become great in faith? How do you become a, uh, not a great person, but a great believer in God? I think sometimes the, the, the path to being a person of great faith escapes us. It's not hard to see people of great faith. Uh, one that comes to my mind right now is uh, Sharon Rahilly, who's a missionary out in Togo. And I read her prayer letters about the things that she is attempting and the way God is providing. And I think, wow, there is a woman of great faith. And I, I admire her. Um, you know, she's a nurse and a nurse educator and knows all this stuff about medicine, but I think faith might be her greatest trait. In the, in the mission work. And so I, I, I can't think of a greater legacy that I might be able to leave with you than to help you understand how to grow your faith. 
how to be a bigger believer in God. And we're going to start today with this. Faith grows as we act on the word of God. And I want to start in Genesis chapter 1 and work my way through to Revelation. Um, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, what we call our atmosphere. Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament, from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And and God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And the story goes on through all of those days of creation. I want you to take note of something here, because the beginning of understanding how to grow in your faith through the word of God is this. The word of God is powerful. The word of God is powerful. And I just want to skim through this chapter with some phrases here in front of you. Uh, Verse 3, then God said, let there be light. Verse 6, then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together and let the dry land appear, and it was so. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the grass, the herb, and it was so. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, and it was so. Then God said, let us make man in our image. There is a, there is a, there's a lesson here that I think we miss or we don't take as strongly as we ought, and it's this. God didn't scratch around in his workshop for material to build the world like I seek wood for a project in my garage. He spoke the worlds into being. We have a fancy theological word for that based in Hebrew, ex nihilo, out of nothing. God spoke it into being. Now, um, I think most of us here believe that God created the world, and probably most of us believe, I certainly believe, that he did it in six days, just like it says, and we believe that he spoke it into being. And yet, somehow, we're still missing something about God's talking. Okay? Okay? And, and, and we fast forward to the book of Hebrews, and we read this. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made out of things which are visible. And we need to understand that the Bible, 
the Bible is just as much full of power as the words that spoke the universe into being. All Scripture is, and what's that word mean, class? God breathed. It's God's way of saying all of this came right out of his mouth. Now, we know God doesn't have a being. God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And yet, God uses human parts to express who he is. And so he says, this came right out of his mouth. Just like the command when he said, let there be light. It's, it's redundant and almost nonsensical. And by the way, that will get red flagged in your, in your, in your spell correct. There is no such word as nonsensical. That, that even makes it better, doesn't it? It's redundant and almost nonsensical to say, but God's word is God's words, and it is powerful. God's word is God's words. And so when we read this verse... We need to think about that. The word of God is living. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When I read God's word, it's able to convict me and convince me and change me. Why is that? Turn with me to John chapter 14, please. In the Gospel of John, verse chapter 14, Jesus is getting ready to leave earth after the death, burial, and resurrection, but he's getting his disciples ready for his departure eventually in the next <clears throat> few months. So we read this in John 14, 16. But Jesus said to them, <clears throat> oh, excuse me, oh, that's why, I, I, Matthew, I wrote, turn to Matthew, there we go, John 14, I will pray the Father, verse 16 of John 14, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Who is that helper? The spirit of truth. Whom the world, that's a reference to those who are not believers, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you, you believers, you know him for he dwells with you and the day is coming when he will be in you. Jesus promised that he was not going to leave the disciples alone. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be in you. When he says he is around you but he's going to be in you, it's a difference of time from that Old Testament era when the Holy Spirit came, came down and came around and, and came into a few people for a few periods of time. But here he says, now he's going to dwell in you. And that's all a result of, of being born again, having our sin removed, and, and the possibility of the Spirit coming into us. Now go down to verse 25. 
Jesus is still talking here. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Then drop down to chapter 16 and verse 7 of John. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said he will take of mine and declare it to you. The thing that we understand here is this. The word of God is spiritual. The word of God is spiritual. And what I mean by that is it is conveyed to us by the Holy Spirit. When you accept Christ as your Savior, many spiritual changes occur which are some of which are these. Your sin is forgiven, the new life of Christ is implanted, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your soul, just as this verse of 1 Corinthians 6 tells us. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? The Holy Spirit, when he comes in, does a number of things in us, but one of the most important is what we have just read from these passages in John. The spirit of truth will be in you. The Holy Spirit will teach you. He will convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. And so the Holy Spirit impresses both non-believers and believers with the truthfulness of God's word. As we read God's word, that sense that we have of this is right, this is true, this is of God, that comes from the Holy Spirit. When you are listening to God's word being communicated by a teacher or preacher and you think, yes, that's true, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit confirming that this is the true word of God. When you read God's word and you come away believing that what was said was gospel truth, that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That ministry began when the Holy Spirit superintended the writing of the scriptures. The Holy Spirit impresses both non-believers and believers the truthfulness of God's word. You say, well, does he have the same ministry to non-believers? In one sense, yes. When someone who is not a Christian hears God's truth, particularly the gospel, about how they are a sinner and Christ is the Savior and they need to believe in him, when they come to that point of saying, yes, that's true and I must act on it, it's because the Holy Spirit is confirming it in them. And when we read the word of God as a believer and we learn and he confirms it, that is the Holy Spirit's ministry. 
And that's because no prophecy, no word of God ever came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Bible was written through the superintending of God's word, and it was conveyed by men to us from God under the Holy Spirit's ministry. And so as we studied some time ago in 1 Corinthians, we understand this. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? So that we can know the things that have been freely given to us by God. The way we're able to understand the Bible is through the Holy Spirit. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural, the unsaved man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. There are unbelievers who will come to faith in Christ. There are others who have not come to faith, and when they hear the Bible, they go, that's foolishness. But those of us who are Christians, we hear it and go, yes, it's the true word of God. Now let me pull all this together for you and say this. One of the keys to a greater faith in God's truth is simply to expose yourself to as much of it as possible, as often as possible, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, some of you are going, are you telling me, Dave, all I need to do is read the Bible and I'll become a great believer? No, that's not all. But I'm telling you that's the starting point. And I'm telling you that's the starting point because... This is God's word. These are God's words. Um, we could turn this around and ask the question, why don't I read the Bible? Well, I don't have time. Uh, if we're really honest, we'd say, I don't like what it says. But when we expose ourselves to God's truth, when we read it, when we listen to it taught, when we listen to it sung, the Holy Spirit is there confirming it to us, and the more we read it, and the more we listen to it, and as we'll see in a minute, the more we live it, the more it becomes part of us, and it just becomes natural to believe in God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's go all the way back to a person who's not a Christian. How do they come to faith in God? They hear the gospel. Why in the world would any person in America today believe the gospel? Is there any pressure in our society to become a Christian? Did I miss that? No. Is there any pressure not to become a Christian? Yeah. I've heard a number of people over the years say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a fanatic like you, you know, kind of a thing. You see, why would anybody come to faith in Christ? There can only be one answer, because the word of God is powerful. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God of salvation unto all who will believe. It's the power of God because the Holy Spirit is in it. So if you want to be a great 
person of faith, a great believer. I'm not talking about becoming great like I'm important or I'm significant in the world. I'm talking about having a great faith in God, a deep faith in God, a faith in God that is unshakable no matter what comes along in life. It starts with the word of God because God has put these words here and made them powerful and the Holy Spirit is helping us to understand their truthfulness. Your faith grows when you hear the word of God because the Holy Spirit causes you to know that God's word is true. Now, I know you can fight back against that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But our acceptance of that true word grows our faith because the word of God is meaningful. Meaningful. What do I mean by that? I mean that the word of God enables us to know God. The word of God has a tremendous impact in our life. And the first part of that impact is helping us to know God. God has told us about himself in the pages of the Bible. We read that here in Hebrews 1. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom he also made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now I understand this passage is teaching us that Jesus was also the communication of God. By looking at Jesus, the people around him, Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, in terms of character and nature and ability, by you look at me, you can understand the Father. We don't get to see him in person, but we get to see him here. God has spoken to us, and so the word of God enables us to know him. Jesus said it this way, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Do you know God? Do you know God so deeply that you just trust him no matter what comes? It's not, it's not pie in the sky. It's not undoable. It's not something you have to go to Bible school or seminary to get. But it doesn't come in an instant. The knowledge of God comes as we walk day by day, learning God's word, learning about God in his word, learning, learning, learning. And as we do that, and as we walk with God, the Holy Spirit confirms this truth. And we know God more and more. And we come to the point of some of these great saints that we've read about in books and... and, and uh, you know, one that comes to mind now, a family named Bowers, who were missionaries down in the upper Amazon, and they were flying, the, guy, the, the, the husband was a pilot, and they were flying somewhere, and he had his wife who was with child, and I think somebody, their, their other child, small child, was in the plane, and they were shot down by the Colombian government because they thought it was a drug plane, and his wife died. Maybe the child died also. 
And what did he do? He came back and said, God is good, God is in control. He went and shared his faith with everybody that he could. I heard him speak at our seminary down here in Tacoma. Did he, did he go, what in the world is God doing? No. And it wasn't because he understood exactly ABC, one, two, three, all of the ways of God, but he knew God and he knew the goodness of God and, and, and he knew that God was gonna work out all things for his good and so he, he said, let's go God. I, I don't know what kind of a believer you aspire to be. The word of God enables us to know God. When I read the Bible, I learn about God. I learn about who he is and how he acts and what he has done for me and what he expects from me. And while I am reading, the Holy Spirit is convincing me of the truthfulness of this revelation. So when I read about God's power to enable a man to do the impossible... My faith grows to the point that I am willing to attempt the impossible when God asks me to do just as he did with Gideon. He said, to him, you know, God came to him and, and said, God is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon went, whoa, we got the wrong guy here. And, and look what he said, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? This is Gideon talking. How can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. You see, if they were going to go to war, if, if he was a leader in his clan, he'd stand up and say, clan, let's go, we're going to war. Be like one of these big you know, Dutch families up here that's got a couple of hundred people connected to him. And so that whole clan would say, okay, we're going. And then all of their friends would say, hey, we're going to war. Come on with us. And so all of their circles, and they get up an army, and that's how they went to war. And he says, my clan is the weakest. It's the smallest. And I'm the least. I'm not the leader of the clan. How can I do this? <laughs> and the Lord, the Lord said to him, I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. You're gonna go out there to war and it's gonna be like one guy took them all out. And Gideon's going, oh my God. When I read that, I go, okay God. God plus one is a majority. Yeah. And so when I read the instructions of the New Testament and it tells me to do this or do this or do that or do the other and I'm, and I'm trying to decide if I'm going to do what God says, how can I decide? Well, I would submit to you that if you've been in the Word and in your walk with the Lord, and the Holy Spirit has been producing, if he's been in there going, that's true, and you go, yeah, and I take that step, yeah, that's true, and you take another step, and you learn more, and you take a step, and you take a step, that there will come a day when God reaches down and says, now, this is a tough one, but I want you to do this, and he will say, you will, 
You will do this as one man. Friends, if you don't read God's word, you will never grow in your faith. Period. You won't. Because you won't know the great God who saved you and calls you to increasingly great spiritual work. See, God knows that the best way for us to grow in Christ is to lead us into challenging circumstances. And then he's going to lead us, in, it, when, when we step up and say, okay, God, I'll trust you for that, he leads us into a little more challenging circumstance. And we say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you for that. And we go on and we go on, and he keeps leading us, and the word of God keeps teaching us about this. And as we keep taking these steps, we get to the point where we can handle these these big things that we see other Christians doing, and we say, how can I get to be that person of faith? You get by reading God's word and taking those steps, taking those steps, taking those steps. The word of God enables us to know God. If you know God, you have a sense of who he is and what he's doing and how these things can work out together for good for you. But the word of God also transforms our behavior. The word of God transforms our behavior. 2 Timothy 3 says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, so that the man of God may be complete. Uh, look at the word reproof there. I don't know what your translation has, but it means convict, and it's the same word that Jesus uttered when he said the Holy Spirit is going to convict you. The Holy Spirit is going to convict. In other words, when I read the Bible, it's not just words on a page. The Holy Spirit is there convicting of, uh, us of what is right and wrong. And then the word correction means a straightening or a reforming. Um, you, you take something that's bent and you straighten it out and hammer it down and make it smooth and useful. When it's bent, you can't use it. When it's straight, you can. You reform it into something useful. The only way you can become more like Christ is through time spent in the Word of God. As you read, the Holy Spirit will convict you about what is right and wrong, and he gives the path to move ahead in Christ. And some will say, well, with all this power in the Bible, why hasn't my faith grown? And that's because the Word of God must become personal. It must become personal. I'm sure you remember these words of Christ. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. The word observe means to keep or to hang on to. It's obviously a Another way to express the word obey or obedience. See, Jesus defines a disciple or a follower of Christ as one who observes his truth. It's not just about praying the sinner's prayer to spare yourself hell and go to heaven. 
Jesus said we're to tell the gospel to people so that they will come to faith in Christ and then teach them everything that Jesus commanded. He put it this way in John 14, he who has my commandments and keeps them, keeps, observes. It is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. So when you read or hear the word of God, how do you respond? In one ear and out the other? Maybe like this, la, 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 I can't hear you, la, 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 I can't hear you, I don't know what you're saying, as though we won't be held accountable for the things that we don't hear. Uh, surely the most simple way we do that is just leave the Bible on the shelf. Or maybe if you watch the movie Up, it's a squirrel problem, squirrel. Squirrel problem is what a dog has when he's trying to pay attention because he's sitting there looking at you and then a squirrel goes by. Yeah, we're that way. It's called Facebook. It's called, you know, if you have, the, if you have your speakers on, on the speaker every time an email comes up, ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, 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 something important, something important. Sure enough, it's a recipe for how to make mush. I knew it was important. <laughs> I, I talked to, I, I had a Christian friend that I saw in a business setting, and we were talking about Facebook, and, and uh, she said, yeah, she said, I'm, and, and this is a person who, from my conversations with her she really lives for the lord don't get me wrong but in conversation she said yeah i get up 15 minutes early to check facebook and see what's happening with all my friends and i just said is that before or after you read the bible <laughs> why won't my faith grow Why can't I do what God says to do? It's because faith grows as the word is brought in and acted upon. It has to become personal. I have to act on what I read. Mm. If you don't hear, that is if you don't read or listen to in some way taking God's truth, if you don't read and hang on to God's truth, that is, obey it, your faith will always be just saving faith. And you might be tempted to say, that's enough. I just want to slide into heaven. You know, 1 Corinthians 3 talks about people who will be saved so as by fire, the fire of evaluation of their life. God will evaluate our lives and his righteousness will burn up all of the garbage in our life and the gold, silver, precious stone will be left. And he says, but some of you are going to have nothing, but you will be saved so as by fire. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident there are some Christians who say, that's good enough. And I would submit to you that it is good enough right up until the day the crisis comes. 
It's good enough until you come to that day where you really need God. And, and yet what's happening is you're casting about going, where is God? What is going on? What's happening? And, and some even go so far as to blame God for the problems that they're in. And yet the truth is we need to, we need to take those steps of faith, steps of faith, listening to the word, obeying the word, and as we do, we get to believe it more. We get to believe it more. My mom bought me a new tool last Christmas. She knew exactly what I wanted and got me a biscuit cutter. Although it might have come in the form of those universal gift certificates called legal tender. <laughs> I bought a biscuit cutter at Christmas. Now, I won't try to explain that to you non-tool people, but uh, it cuts little grooves and you, it helps you to put pieces of wood together so it's stronger. Love that thing. Sat in a box for about three months. Kind of scared of it. Never had a biscuit cutter before. Never cut any biscuits before, except the kind that I fed my belly with, you know. It sat in the box, and my wife didn't say it, but she probably walked by it on her way to the car and thought, what in the world did he buy that tool for? Well, it's for the new thing I'm building for her right now. But it sat in the box. I was kind of scared of it. And finally, there came a day when I said, okay, today's the day. I really need to use the biscuit cutter. So I'm going to open it up, and I'm going to read the book as much as I have to. And I learned that I needed to buy some biscuits. So I went to the Home Depot and got some biscuits, got all three sizes and big jars. I thought, I'm really going to cut some biscuits here, you know. And brought that thing home, and I did some tests cuts and and I use the thing and now it's part of my tool uh, complement it's there I know how to use it and you know I'm probably not uh, as sharp with it as some people are but it's mine now and I can use it and I can depend on it and I know it's there when the time comes for it is the word of God yours or just a beautiful book with a leather cover. It's got to be yours. As God might bring me to your mind as the days go on, and I'm not here as often, hopefully you'll see me on your prayer list from time to time, I would ask you to pray about my physical fitness for ministry. I'm going to be 60 in a couple of weeks, and I know that shocks most of you, because you're, you're thinking I'm only like, surely I could be more like 45, maybe 50 tops. I want to go long, and I want to go strong, um, but I have a problem. I love dessert. I've had some days where either me or us were out uh, doing the Lord's work, and, and, I'm, and I know you can relate to this, Ken, and you can as well, Ralph, and you know, you have a breakfast meeting, 
at a, at a truck stop restaurant where it's a buffet for breakfast. Ar, 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 ar. Bacon piled up high. <laughs> and uh, then you have a lunch meeting with different guys at a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> And then about seven or eight o'clock, you're finally done with everything and you go into the hotel and you think, man, I'm just gonna go. And here's a restaurant right here. And uh, um, I love to eat. As the years go by, most of us have to watch what we eat to make sure we aren't eating too much. But when it comes to God's word, the problem is the opposite. We need to watch our diet to make sure we're getting enough. And I would submit to you that those times when we are really struggling in life, you might think of it as spiritual starvation. That you need what God has. And that's what this verse is about. Laying aside all of the sin in your life. Be like a newborn baby going after the milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Uh, you don't have to tell a baby when it's dinner time. The baby tells you. And uh, I would just ask you uh, where you're at with your eating of God's truth. If you're not a believer today, if you have not yet believed in Christ as your Savior, I want to challenge you to read the Gospel of John and let it speak for itself. The, the coolest thing, and I even tell this to people when I witness to them, I say, you know what the coolest thing is? I don't have to twist your arm to get you to become a believer. All you've got to do is read it with an open heart, and God will make it known to you himself. Do it. Don't, don't, don't give me all these reasons why you don't believe. You just read the Bible and let it speak for itself. If you're a believer in Christ, I want to challenge you to get into the Word and start growing your faith as you live out God's truth. Heavenly Father, thank you that it's possible to grow, not just in what we do, but in how much we believe and our confidence in you. You want us to grow up. You want us to believe deeply and greatly. And, and so, Father, make that happen. Help us to get into your word and to see what you've done and to, to, to receive it, to accept it, to pursue it and to let you grow us up. Thank you for our time today, Father. I pray that you will bring your word home to us in the ways that you know it's most needed. I pray in Christ's name, amen.